Welcome to Mosaic Podcast. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church, Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Today, our topic is conflict and communication. So it's a juicy one. Everyone say, ooh. Yeah, great, good, thanks. Um, and it's really important that we talk about this because inevitably, as we engage with our families and with relationships with each other in and outside the church, we will inevitably encounter conflict. And for me, really, it's quite funny that I'm up here talking about this because I am not an expert in this. And if you'd have met me about 10 years ago, you'd have found it fully laughable that I would ever speak on this subject because um, so Matt and I, my husband Matt, have known each other since we were teenagers and our relationship at times has been volatile. <laughs> we have handled conflict in every awful way possible and Alex can testify to this. I lived with Alex just before I got married and she knows that we have struggled with this in the past and we you know how when 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 a couple gets married in the church we have marriage preparation we had to have that before we even got engaged because things were that bad so we went around to Dan and Emma's often in the middle of an argument and they would mediate between us but the good news is that through that journey of getting loads and loads of things wrong I know that God has dealt with a lot of stuff in my heart and really spoken to me and shown me things on this subject that make me now quite passionate about it that conflict is something Something that is hard, but there's a way through in Christ of dealing with it that, that enables us to have deeper friendships, deeper relationships, a deeper church community. And so that's some of what I want to talk about this morning. But it's true, isn't it, that it's, it's hard. There's, um, as I was preparing for today, I've, I read this quote by a guy um, called John Bloom that I connected with. And he said, he started the quote saying, I have a model Christian family. But just before you want to throw up, listen to what he actually means. He said, seven sinners live together in our home. We're middle-aged, teenage and pre-teen sinners who each have the sin nature's assumption that we're playing the lead role in the drama of existence. We have different sin-infected temperaments, talents, desires, interests, preferences, proclivities, aspirations, strengths and weaknesses. We have different fears, anxieties and temptations and as we deal with them in our different ways and at different developmental and spiritual maturity levels, we have a tendency not to be aware of others' fears, anxieties and temptations. I hardly have to tell you what this means. It all ends up as compost for sinful conflict that erupts in some form almost every day. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like your household? I know my household's a bit smaller than his. It's me and Matt, Jordan, who lives with us. But definitely the same situation described here exists. We're different people with different priorities, different passions, different interests, different stuff going on, and it can end up a little bit messy. And it's not just our living situations, all our relationships, our friendships, relationships within the church, extended family. Conflict is inevitable as people interact with each other. None of us are perfect. And so the conflict that that comes when we make an unhelpful comment or respond to something out of tiredness or frustration... We've got conflict where we think differently about how to do something, how to parent, disagreements with management at work about what we should be doing or what we should be doing as a church. In our friendships, disagreements about um, what we should do or how we should do it. You know, as a staff team, 
from the church staff team a while ago. We were on a team building day and we had one of those team building activities and we had to build a bridge made of uh, just with wooden poles. There was no connecting apparatus. It was just wooden poles and we had to work out how to build a bridge. Now that was a context for conflict like I've never seen because it was like 12 of us stood around, everyone with a different idea about how we should go about this. It was time, so we were rushing, everyone was shouting. Then, then it gets to the, oh, I'm not being listened to, so I'm going to withdraw. It was, it was chaos, basically. <laughs> so conflict occurs when two opposing interests meet. I think we should do it like this. I think we should do it like that. And each party has valid reasons for their way of thinking. And often those reasons are based deeply in who they are, what they're passionate about, what they value. And so it feels threatening to have to give up or modify that position. So what do we do? We can't avoid it, pretending that those interests and ideals never clash. Of course they do. Happens all the time. So we need to find a way of communicating and dealing with conflict which appreciates and respects our differences and seeks to understand each other better and work through difficulties to resolution. And you know, this kind of conflict strengthens our character, it deepens our community, it builds trust and security, but it's hard and I think it's quite rare. And so this is what we're talking about this morning, and I've got six quite practical things that I want to talk through about how we can grow as a church in this way. But before we go there, the good news is that the Bible has a lot to say on this subject. And the gospel that we believe in as Christians, I think, has both the explanation and the antidote for conflict that can really, really help us. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to get it out, the passage we're looking at this morning is Philippians 2. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry, it'll come up on the screen. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses of Philippians 2. So this is a letter written by a guy called Paul to a church in Philippi, and he's talking about Jesus. And he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. That first bit sounds very different to my household. I don't know about, about yours, but do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value others above yourself. It's hard, isn't it? 
But just backing up, let's just think about the big picture. When God created the world, he created everything perfect. So there was harmony between us as his created people and God. Harmony between God and mankind and harmony between mankind and our relationships with each other. But when man sins, so Genesis chapter 3, when the temptation to be like God caused Eve to eat the apple from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everything became broken. So because mankind tried to be like God instead of enjoying the perfect relationship with God, the harmony that existed between man and God and between mankind and each other got broken. Conflict entered the world. And since that time, conflict's ruled. We see it in ourselves. We see it in our relationships. We see it on a huge scale, don't we? Nations at war, political factions opposing each other. In every sphere of life, we see opposing interests warring against each other. But then coming back to this passage, who was the only person who didn't behave like that? The only one who resisted the temptation to assert his own interests and push his own agenda have things his way, was Jesus. Instead of holding on to power and status, he did the total opposite. It says, Jesus, verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. So he was God. But instead of holding on to his position and asserting his own interests and authority, he was willing to become a servant and even to suffer to the point of death for us to reverse that brokenness, that curse that happened at the fall when we tried to be like God and it got broken. God said, no, I'm going to come and live amongst you, be like you to reverse that so that harmony can, can, can be found again through me. So conflict reigned at the fall. Now harmony, reconciliation and restoration is possible because of Jesus. So what do we need to do? How do we step into that? Well, it says at the beginning of the passage, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... It says when you become a Christian, you become united with Jesus Christ. And because we're united with him, he enables us to be like him. So in a world where conflict reigns because everybody is trying to hold on to their own opinion, Jesus blazes this new trail of saying, no, I'm going to lay myself down for others. And he says, come with me. But he also says, I'm going to give you power to do that. I'm going to enable you to do that. It doesn't look like the more successful path. But it is the road to reconciliation and healing from conflict. So that's what we're doing with the rest of our time. How do we follow Jesus down this road and live in the opposite spirit to conflict, to serve others and lay down our agenda? And I want to suggest this morning that conflict is inevitable, but it's also worth it. Because in Christ, we have a way of handling conflict that leads to stronger relationships, stronger friendships, stronger marriages, families, mission groups, a stronger church community. So six things to help us live this out in our key, in our everyday lives. The first one is accepting conflict. 
So even though Jesus made a way for harmony and reconciliation, we still live in a broken world where there is still conflict. And Paul accepts this. The whole point of what he's writing is to write to the Christian community, assuming that they won't naturally be like this, but preaching what Jesus uh, has done for them into that context. And Jesus comments on this too in Matthew 18, talking about disagreements within the church. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. So it's quite clear. He's saying if someone's hurt you, go and talk to them about it so that you can be reconciled. See, he expects there to be some conflict amongst the, amongst Christians, but he's, he's given us a way of dealing with it. And so we need to accept it too. Conflict is inevitable. And I wonder how that makes you feel because conflict's an emotive word, isn't it? It brings up different responses in each of us. I wonder how do you naturally respond to conflict? I think there's sort of two extremes. We've got a bit of a sliding scale here. There's people on the let me out on side. I'm up for conflict. I'll just go and wade right in and say my piece. On the other end of the spectrum is the head in the sand. I don't want to deal with this. And I imagine most of us are somewhere in the middle of this. Some naturally like conflict. Others would rather avoid it completely. Personally, I'm more on this side. I'd rather I wasn't, but I am. That's just what I'm And most arguments between me and Matt blow up because I wade right in with the, look at what you've done, look at what you've made me feel. And he's like, no, I haven't. And it escalates quickly. Um, but that's me. What, I wonder where you are on that scale. Why don't you just quickly turn to the person next to you and just top, off the top of your head, you don't have to go too deep. Where, where would you naturally find yourself? Which end are you closer to? Or are you slap bang in the middle? Okay, sounds like you all know where you are. This is a good, good start. Good, strong start. Um, inevitably, how we approach conflict will be influenced by our background, the family that we grew up in, how, our culture, how we saw conflict played out in significant relationships. So often, not exclusively, but often children who grow up in a more volatile home where the child had to be the, the peacemaker between parents, often they'll be more on this side. Also, personality plays a part here. What are we like? How has God made us? What are our natural responses? But I want to make it clear that handling conflict well is not a personality type. No personality type is better at this than another. However we're created, we all have the potential to handle conflict well, and we all have challenges that we need to overcome in order to handle conflict well. But the first step is just understanding what we're like, spotting where we are, what are our natural tendencies. And as we do that, sometimes there might be things that come up from our past experience, from difficult situations or relationships that we've had that we think, actually, do you know what, that's affected me, but that's not really who I am. And I'd really encourage you, as you go from here, just to spend a little bit of time thinking about how you, um, how you approach conflict. And if there are things like that, which, I mean, I think there are for all of us, talk about it in your discipleship triplets or in your mission groups. Find someone you trust and say, oh, do you know, I've realized that um, I've been holding on to this and I'd just like to talk about it because I feel like it's stopping me being who I really am. So the first step is working out what are, what are my natural responses. Do you have an emotional outburst like me? Do you get angry? Do you withdraw? Do you recognize bitterness and resentment towards others? They're all common responses, but Jesus offers us a better way. But in order to go there, we've got to first recognize where are we.
And you know, God uses times of conflict to make us more like him. I think they're like crucible moments where the heat's turned up and we see what's really going on, what we're really like. And if we're willing to allow God into that, he can use them to bring massive change and fruit in our lives. I know that's definitely been my experience. When I've allowed him in, it's led to something good. When I've tried to handle it myself, it's not gone well. So conflict's inevitable, but I think it's worth it because it strengthens our character and it deepens our relationships. And so we need to, we need to accept it first. Secondly, I want to talk about cultivating a context of trust and security within the church. So the passage starts, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He talks about a beautiful environment in the church of unity, doesn't he? Tenderness and compassion where trust and security can exist. Remember I said at the beginning that conflict happens because two opposing interests meet. I think we should do it like this. I think we should do it like that. But behind those interests are deeper passions, things that really matter to us. They're not just trivial ideas. Often our opinions are based in who we are. And so that's why it's difficult to just let them go because they mean something to us. And so we've got to be a community that knows each other, that understands how each other work, that appreciate the differences and the nuances in our character and in how God has made us and what he's made us passionate about that lie behind our opinions. And as we do that, we'll grow a culture of trust and security, which allows us to say, do you know what? I don't necessarily agree with you in this moment, but I understand why that is important to you. And so do you know what? I can let go of my opinion. And for me, I think some of my deepest friendships have been formed through times of conflict because it's in those times where I've been able to understand more about what really matters to that person. And as we've stuck at it and come through to a place of reconciliation, it has really deepened the relationship. So I just want to ask, is there a context of trust and security in your mission group, in your friendships Are you growing in really knowing each other and understanding and appreciating the differences between you? And maybe think about any areas of conflict in your life at the moment. What could you do to show the other person that even though you don't necessarily agree, you still value them, you care about who they are? And do you need to challenge yourself to put yourself more in their shoes, think about their point of view and ask what are those passions and deeper values behind their opinion? The more secure we are in our relationships with one another, the more able we will be to trust and the better equipped for handling conflict we will be. And then thirdly, I want to talk about learning to listen. That's another crucial step for us as a church. And I mean really listen, not just to what someone says, but to what they really mean. You know what it's like when you have a conversation with someone and you don't feel like they're actually listening to you. They're just waiting for their turn to speak. And I know I can be guilty of that sometimes too. But remember the principle, conflict comes up because things really matter to us. So in order to deal with the conflict, we've got to understand why the issue matters to the other person. Focus on serving the other person. Remember Jesus, verse 7, made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. We can apply that principle to when we're listening to each other, serve one another. And sometimes asking questions is helpful for good listening. When you said that, can you help me understand what did you really mean? What was really going on when you said that? 
We're trying to get to the root. What is the unmet need or fear? What is revealed? Because when that's revealed, we can either make a way forward or we can deal with it, pray about it, talk about it. But in order to do that, we need to hold ourselves back from jumping in and defending ourselves. It's important to give the other person time to say all that they need to say and not react to the first comment. So learning to listen. And linked with that, obviously, number four, learning to speak. So again, verse three says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I don't know about you, but I think often we speak what is helpful for us to say rather than what is helpful for the other person to hear. But if we're following this other-centered approach of serving in our conflict resolution, then we need to change. We need to learn how to verbalize how we feel in conflict in a way that honors the other person. I think that's one of the hardest lessons for some of us, like me, whom, for whom our emotions are close to the surface, we can easily just blurt out how we feel too quickly, and put, which puts the blame very, very much on the other person, which can be really damaging. For others who find it a bit harder to articulate their emotions, the temptation is to just move on. But then bitterness and hardness does tend to develop over time, which can be equally damaging. So whatever our natural tendency, we need to learn to understand our emotions, understand what's really going on in order to communicate in a constructive way. And just very practically, I think before we go into that conversation to try and resolve the conflict, it's important that we give some time to processing. Why has this thing hurt me? What's really going on? What are the emotions that it's brought up? And again, our personalities will come into play here. For some of us who are external processors, we'll need to get someone that we trust, maybe our discipleship person in our discipleship triplet, and talk, to the, talk through with them. This, this, is, this happened and I felt like this. Can you help me work out what was going on? For others, you just need to get some time by yourself and think it through. But it's so important. Don't just dive straight into the conflict-resolving conversation without thinking about what is it that I really want to say? Why does this matter to me? And there's, there's a little, um, so the key is paying attention to what's going on. When we respond to something, when we feel hurt or misunderstood, take some time to think about it. And there's a helpful tool that I've learned recently for this I just wanted to share with you, if you don't mind being uber practical for a minute. It's called the communication wheel. Looks like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is helpful both in thinking through what's going on by ourselves before and also actually in the conversation. It's a helpful little um, kind of thing to work around in the conversation. So it starts with sense data. So start by what have you picked up? What have you seen? So say you've had some conflict with somebody. Um, you've noticed someone react to something you've said or maybe some, they've, you've said something, they've stormed out of the room. You start with, oh, I, when you said this or when I saw you leave the room... Start with what you, what you sensed and then follow this with your thoughts. So what did it make you think? What's your interpretation of what was happening? So I heard you say this and I saw you do that and I thought, um, she seems to be angry with me. What's wrong? And then you go on to your feelings. So state the emotions that you felt at the time. When I saw you leave the room and I thought she's angry with me, I felt really hurt by that. And then state your desire. This is why we're having this conversation. Why are you discussing this? What do you want from this interaction? So I just want to talk about it because I want us to be in agreement. I want to understand what I said that upset you so that that doesn't happen again. 
And then finally, the action. So this, this is something that you're asking the person you're communicating with to do. So how do you want them to respond? So will you tell me what you were thinking? Will you tell me what it was that hurt you and what was going on there so that I can, so that I can understand you better? And sometimes there are times when you're not asking the other person to do anything. Rather you, rather you just want them to know what you're thinking. You need them to just listen. So sometimes saying, I don't, I don't, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'd just love you to listen to me and hear what I'm saying. So going through that process helps us say what's helpful to strengthen the relationship and deal with misunderstandings rather than just blurt out what we feel or sweep things under the carpet. And as we learn to speak in this way, it becomes very natural. So just a couple of weeks ago, one of my best friends came up to me and was like, oh, Hannah, I just wanted to say, um, when we were in a group situation a little while ago, you said something and it really upset me because it made me feel like you didn't understand what was going on for me. And she said, I know you didn't really mean that, but I just wanted to explain what was going on so that you could understand and it was amazing because I could be like oh wow I'm really sorry I didn't mean to make you feel like that thank you for telling me and and she the most important thing is she before coming to me had both spent some time thinking about why what I'd said had upset her and she'd chosen to forgive me so that when she came up to me it wasn't an emotional you really upset me it was a oh this has happened this is why please can we to do something about it so it doesn't happen again. And it was brilliant because it was practical. It helped our relationship grow closer rather than left a little um, nugget in there that might have blown up in the future. But my fifth point is overcoming fear because often I feel like we avoid having these conversations or we don't even want to go there in thinking about it because we're afraid of what the other person will think of us or afraid of the effect it might have on our relationship. But again, just going back to the person of Jesus, being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. You know, Jesus was able to become our servant because he wasn't holding on to fear. He knew who he was. He was secure in the love the Father had for him. And so instead of needing to prove himself, he humbled himself. And that same love is available for us. That same security that Jesus knew in the Father is available for us. In 1 John 4.18, it says there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So like Jesus, we need to experience the unconditional love of the Father driving out our fears. And I just want to encourage you, your seemingly insignificant personal battle for fear can actually have a huge impact on your relationships so your daily choice to go to God and and experience his love and receive security from him in a way that drives out your fear can really impact the church community around you and the relationships that you have so I want to encourage you to press in for that don't ever give up seeking more of the perfect love of God because we always need more And then finally, the sixth thing I want us to look at is growing in forgiveness. So verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What was Jesus like? Forgiving. So as we're united with him, we're also instructed to forgive one another. In Colossians 3, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
So the goal of dealing with conflict is to come to a place of restoration of the relationships. And this cannot happen without forgiveness. And forgiveness is not dependent on whether the other person has admitted they're wrong, whether they've apologized, whether they've changed. Forgiveness is a command to us based on what Jesus has done for us. So our response is to make the first move in forgiveness. Whether you've got a grievance, when you've got a grievance against someone, choose to forgive. But I know as I say that, that is not easy. It costs to forgive. Because where there's been a hurt, there's been a loss. And where there's a loss, there's a cost that someone has to pay. Either you, you take it on or you want to make them pay. But forgiveness means that you choose to take that cost. You don't hold it over them anymore. And sometimes the costs are big. But we don't carry them ourselves. So we take them and we bring them to Jesus. We lay them at the feet of the one who took the ultimate cost, who died in our place. And Jesus takes the cost on and in response gives us power to forgive. That's how we're able to choose forgiveness. It's not through grit, determination and strength. It is by acknowledging the cost, bringing it to Jesus, laying it down and receiving his power. And you know, unforgiveness is a bit like a prison. It will keep us trapped, whereas choosing to forgive will set us free. Again, it doesn't look like the most successful route, but it is the way to healing and reconciliation and freedom. And so I just wonder this morning, are there areas of unforgiveness that you recognize in your life at the moment? Often we notice it where, we, where there's a hurt that just still hasn't shifted, where there's a bit of bitterness towards someone that we know every time we see them, we get that feeling. Or when we talk about something, a, a, something that happened or a situation or a person that still sparks an emotional response or we can't talk about it, those things are little indicators that maybe there's some unforgiveness in our hearts. And I just want to encourage you that if you, wherever you acknowledge them, just bring, bring them to Jesus. Think, what, why am I hurt here? What is the cost? Okay, Jesus, I need you to take this cost and give me power to forgive. So we've looked at, we've whizzed through six very practical things, accepting conflict, cultivating a context of trust and security, learning to listen, learning to speak, overcoming fear, growing in forgiveness. My guess is that different ones of those things will have struck you at different times. There'll be things that you're like, oh yeah, I'm with that, other things that, that feels hard. But the key is that Jesus has done everything necessary to bring us through to a way of handling conflict that brings hope for reconciliation. He is the only way to hope for reconciliation. Remember, the world got broken, but he was the one who was able to reverse that and restore um, the harmony between us and God and us and each other. And so as we finish, we just come to him. We come to him for everything we need and we remember that it's about being united with him and so if you if we want to come and get the band back if you want to stand with me I'm just going to pray and we're going to spend some time responding so Jesus thank you so much for what you have done and who you are thank you Jesus that you our God are one who does not consider equality with God something to be used to your own advantage, but you were willing to make yourself nothing. Thank you that that's what you're like. 
That's the saviour that we have. We need that kind of saviour because nothing else in the world is like you. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray, Jesus, that we would know your presence with us right now by your Holy Spirit, that we would know your, your, the hope that is available in you, in our deepest hurts, our deepest needs for, for reconciliation and for conflict resolution. So we invite your Holy Spirit to come and to, and to move us on, to, to, to enable us to follow Jesus in our response. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you make us more like you? Amen.